Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. That cold case you're listening to? Nasty stuff. But you know what else is a crime? Missing even a moment of whatever you're doing to go on a drink run. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. If you're looking to get a new car, you could really cut expenses by bundling your car and renter's insurance with Progressive. Sure, you love your old car, but you know it's not normal to give instructions on how to open the window. It should be self-explanatory, but it's not. And notice how when you're in other people's cars, you can feel cushion in the seats? That's pretty nice, right? No, it's just normal. So bundle your renters and car insurance with Progressive and put the savings toward a new car. It's time. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. Yeah. How? You bought the beer. <laughs> and then you said, I bought this beer. We have to do an episode oh, on this band now. An episode based on a beer that we got. Yes. It's okay. a beer based episode. I was like, wait. BBE. Sorry, I drink a lot of beer. <laughs> I don't. I, maybe. I actually don't know. I have no idea. I know nothing about REM. So this is going to be an education today. Yeah. Because most people don't know anything about REM because they are an exceed private band yeah like if you want to know about the creative process yeah sure. that's fine i'll tell you about it private lives know- <laughs> oh my god good fucking luck to me so you know what for the past two weeks trying to fucking find things about the band because private lives they're not for you oh it's the two claps yeah, that's right it's so one clap then the two claps. one clap then two claps i'm still learning that yeah also if you're really bored during this coronavirus thing you can call in oats <laughs> Calling out because apparently everybody found out about that today. Bitch, welcome to me like ten years ago. Yeah, you can. I think it's seven one nine six two oats. That's the phone number. I'm really impressed that you memorized it. Yeah, but you can call it toll free all all day, every day, and all night, and you can hear met or one of four. I would I would say man eater, man eater, privatized, add a touch. I think and. Maybe Family, Family Man? Man? I, I don't, don't remember the other one. But you'll hear one of four. Maybe Call Make My Dreams Come True? Or Kiss on My List? I don't oh, know. Oh, I think Kiss on My List is on that list. <laughs> oh, get so, out. so, yeah. 
Yeah, if you guys are real bored during this quarantine. Also, Michael Stipe. We were tricked into thinking Michael Stipe rewrote the lyrics to... Oh, to It's the End of the World as We Know and It. And he didn't. He did not. He just sang, like, two bars of it and then was like, here's a PSA on wash why your hands you, and on stay why you need to wash your hands. Like, no, I know, I know Michael Stipe. I know I need to wash my hands. Look, Michael you don't, Stipe. I don't need a warning from you, of all people. Anybody you- <laughs> who is lo- watching you right now doesn't need to be told. I'm sorry, but the people who need to be told aren't listening to R.E.M. That's true. Come for me. Because Gen Xers are really made to ride out this coronavirus. Right. Can you hear my eyes rolling? Yeah. Come on, Gen Xers. Tell us how, like, this isn't a big deal. Tell us how you're already prepared to ride this one out by doing nothing. Like you do for like everything. you do all the time. And then you can just sit around and be like, millennials and boomers, right? All they do is, like, get upset about things. <laughs> millennials and boomers, am I right? Well, I'm a Gen Xer. I don't do anything. That's me jerking <laughs> off because I don't care. Wow. We went real hard after Gen Xers. I don't know why. I was you know like, what? this is the train I'm jumping on. You know what? Here it is. And we thought we had nothing to open up with. <laughs> we got some hot takes about Gen Xers. Every Gen Xer listening has left. They were like, are you going to make fun of me? Yeah. Now? You guys should know by now, we make fun of everybody, yeah, including yeah. ourselves. Oh, yeah. Constantly. So- I mean, yeah, Gen Xers, we got a punch in on you, but like, we'll get 20 more in on ourselves. Don't you oh, worry. Yeah. Don't you this worry. Is very disproportionate in your favor. So, <laughs> welcome to Rock Candy, <laughs> your weekly podcast, yeah. bringing you stories and tales and sweet treats from the world of music and self deprecation. <laughs> Always. Every time. In buckets. And we're your hosts. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And we did it. We we finally introduced ourselves. Within five like minutes, we... we said the name of the show. We introduced ourselves. We fucking did it. Yeah. There you go. We were losing it there for a little bit. But we got our shit together. I don't even know what fucking day it is anymore. And I go into work. And we record on the same day yeah. every week. Nothing's changed. But I'm just... But I don't know what day it is. I don't know what's going on anymore. No idea. None. But, yes, so this week we are discussing the college band of the Gen Xers, and honestly, the Millennials. I mean, R.E.M. They were still kicking when we were in high school. They had their their real hits when we were in elementary and middle school, I would say. So, therefore, they were a big part of our growing up. Oh, yeah, I mean, I highly doubt you hear the the name R.E.M. and don't think of at least, like, five songs. Yeah. I mean, namely, I'm sure... Actually, so when you hear R.E.M., what's the first song that comes to your mind? I know it's hard because I've been singing Man on the Moon all night because that's the beer we've been well, drinking. Well, it's either Man on the Moon, uh, Everybody Hurts, mm. or actually uh, the one I love comes to my mind a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good one. Or Shiny Happy People because oh. I fucking hate that song. Oh, oh, I got, I got news for you. Oh. Are we going to talk about it? Oh, we're going to talk about oh, it. Oh, yay. Not a ton, but okay. a little bit. We'll dabble. I mean, I Shiny. always go to losing my religion. Oh, yeah. There's that one, too. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no. Shiny, happy people definitely makes me want to punch people in the face. Like, it's it's one of those songs where if there was a movie about a serial killer that goes on a rampage, that would be the ironic song that's playing in the background. Yeah, honestly. Good pick. And I'm sorry nobody's done that, but don't take my idea, because maybe one day I'll write a movie about a serial killer and there put we go. that in there. There we go. We're finally, we're fighting. It's my claim to fame. Yeah. 
you're gonna write that movie about a serial killer and you're gonna have the famous scene with shiny happy people i, I got all the time in the world and rem's like yeah you can use it we don't give a shit whatever we're rem i feel like they would give a shit maybe if it was everybody hurts they probably that would be funny <laughs> Oh my god, there's um, so many. They might well, not give a shit, but... And that's maybe. the thing. So, like, they're such a private band, and I can't get a solid read on them. Yeah. At all. Like, like any of them. Sometimes I watch Michael Stipe, and I'm like, oh god, he's probably insufferable. But sometimes I watch him, and I'm like, honestly, maybe he's kind of cool and chill. Maybe. It's hard to tell. And I think they do that on purpose. I think they basically want no one to understand who they are as people yeah maybe it's fine i mean he could be like the nicest person in the world or he could be like moby i don't know you know what i wonder if because he's bald and skinny and white he just happens to fall into moby for us kind of yeah i think i doubt he i doubt he is as insufferable as moby you look at michael stipe and the first word that flashes up above his head is vegan like but he's not that's I don't but, think he but is. But he has that look. He Actually, just... I don't know if he is. He is not open about veganism if he is a vegan. <laughs> he could be. He we could be. Know. You don't know. But you know what? The fact that you don't know means that he's still better than Moby. True. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Also, good job. Good job on them for keeping it private for yeah. this fucking long. I mean, Jesus. I will get into some of the things that weren't as private, but uh Yeah. Which I was like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> well, this is apparently a very big deal. I did not know this. So that's funny. Yeah. So researching them was difficult in terms of getting like personal details. Mm-hmm. So for the episode, I'm kind of covering more. I'm going to talk about the music a lot more than I normally do. Like yeah. the songs, the songs that we know. Yeah. I'm going to talk about those a bit more than I normally do because... Normally, I'm like, yeah, you know the hits. If you don't know the hits, I don't know. I don't know what to tell go you. Go look them up. They're good. We have the internet now. You should know. Yeah, I always feel like I don't need to tell you because if you're curious enough, just, guys, Spotify and YouTube. Like, there's so many avenues. You can just go pop a song up. Yeah. Man, what a time to be alive. What a time. Time to be alive. That's what made me so picky about music now. I'm like, I don't want to listen to this because I can listen to whatever I want now. Yeah, but even then, I can't figure out what I want to listen to. Yeah. I've Things like this, like Spotify and Amazon Music and shit, have made me so spazzy yes. when it comes to music. Yes. I can't sit down and listen to a whole album. Very rarely can I do that anymore. So If it's a brand new album, I can do it. Because I'm like, oh, I want to listen through this album. Yeah. But that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Eh, whatever. You know what else we're spazzy about? Beer. Yep. <laughs> Because we literally have four beers on our table right now. We really do. But the one we are drinking for tonight's episode that inspired tonight's episode (laughs) is Man on the Moon IPA from Four Mile Brewing. It's on the banks of the Allegheny? Allegheny. Allegheny from Olean, New York. Or or Olean, New York? We're not sure which one it is. Yes, we are from the state, but we have no fucking clue how to pronounce that. This is probably Western New York and like... Deep Western New York. Like, what's that dark shadowy place? That's Western New York, and you, don't you must go never there. go there. <laughs> yeah. Because woof. Sorry to our Western New York listeners. But come on. Do you yeah. know where you live? <laughs> I've spent plenty of time in Buffalo. Hey. I know what's up over there. But despite this being an IPA... It's actually good. It's quite good. Like, we're not even shitting you right now. Yeah. It's really good. I will probably drink the other one, <laughs> But, actually. like, it's... 
it's IPA for people who don't like IPAs. Definitely. It's extremely mild. And I like that. It it's is probably a, like, wait, if it's not really hoppy, it's less IBUs? I don't know. I think it's like, what is that? Like two I, it's like two IBUs. <laughs> like there's not, there's no hops in it. I mean, there are, but. There's no not, hops in it. <laughs> no hops? Why the no hops? No, there's. It's, Clearly not an Easter beer. But um, Get out. No hops. I, I t- 100% knew what you were saying and I'm not here for it. <laughs> Easter's over, thank fuck. Yeah. I'm over it. In Animal Crossing, they had a day called Bunny Day, rotated around Easter, and I dug up so many eggs, and I'm so <laughs> over Easter. Never just, again, Satan. I just want a bag of all black jelly beans, and I can't go out and get one. I'm very upset about that. I'm sure there's plenty left. I'm sure they're going to be around till Christmas, so... Yeah, I'll do like a Target pickup. I'm sure I have no trouble getting... Ooh, if you do that, yeah. I'm sure I'll have no problem because nobody gets entire bags of black jelly beans. I do. Yeah, that's it. They make them for you. Good. I want them all. Good. You're getting them all. Fine. Good. Put them in my basement. Fine, then. (laughs) I'll go, then. Fine. Ben! (laughs) I'm going. I'm going to go get you some black jelly beans. What the fuck? All right. So we have a beer. We have a band. Why don't we tell you guys the story of R.E.M.? <laughs> hey, let's get into the topic we came here for. Yeah, sorry guys. <laughs> Easter, am I right? Many attribute R.E.M. as the band that created the blueprint for alternative rock and bringing it out into the mainstream. At a time when rock was mostly power chords and lyrics about the excesses of life, these guys came in with melodic guitars and a guy singing it. Some of the most angst-ridden lyrics disguised in so many beautiful metaphors. They were very sad. Yeah. they. D- that's not what the 80s were. I don't think... Except for post-punk. I don't think Michael Stipe, Michael Stipe smiled at all during the entire decades of the 80s and 90s. No, you're right. He didn't. He didn't. I don't even think he, he smiled during the shiny happy, happy people video. <laughs> Which is ironic, to say the least. <laughs> no one knew exactly what to make of them. I mean... Still don't. Yeah. But they also knew that, hey, we like this music. Especially the college crowd. Gen Xers coming into their own Mm -hmm. felt like R.E.M. was singing about the things important to their lives. I mean, because for what it's worth, like, Gen Xers weren't all here for that hair metal shit. Oh, no, not at all. I think a lot of them were here for, like, a more intellectual sound. Or the grunge shit. Or the grunge shit is what they were really here for. Yeah. And let me tell you, this was that bridge in a grunge for sure. Yep. It really seemed to be a perfect storm of elements falling into place for these guys, who instead of crumbling during the transition from 80s to 90s, again grunge, they hit their peak and didn't see any real stumbles for a few years. And while they may no longer be together after an amicable split in 2011, I still think their songs have relevance today and their story should be told. Mm-hmm. So, let's do it. Our tale starts around the end of the 70s in Atlanta, Georgia, where four college kids all met up with each other based on their mutual love of music. It wasn't long before they decided to start a band where they collaborated on songs together. I didn't know that they were from the South. They are, but they aren't? (laughs) We may as well start with the most widely known lead singer, Michael Stipe. Born January 4th, 1960, he was the son of a military dad. Which resulted in him constantly moving around. Okay. I wouldn't really say he's from anywhere. He graduated high school in Collinsville, Illinois, 
and decided to go to college at the University of Georgia in the city of Athens. Oh, okay. Michael never saw himself as a singer, despite what others would tell him. Even though he wasn't seeing music as a career at this point, he was still really into art, and he majored in photography and painting at college. Worthwhile subjects yeah. that will totally get you a job Let right Ashley out of college. Tell you. Let me tell you. Yep. Yeah. Fine arts. Mm-hmm. That's where it is, guys. We promise. Yeah. The yeah. arts. That's that's what you want to major in. Yeah, you get Guess it. what? You could probably just fucking do that without going to college. And save yourself a whole lot of fucking money. Yeah, save yourself money. Anyway, sorry. That was a rant. <laughs> but it is funny because Michael was in a few bands back in, like, high school. Mm-hmm. Because guys were like, hey, come sing. And he's like, I can't sing. And they're like, just do it. And he's like, all right. Which is so weird because I always heard that he was such a shy guy. Oh, he is. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, again, why he's so private. Yeah. Michael enjoyed visiting the local independent record store called Wuxtree Records. (laughs) Wuxtree. Wuxtree Records? I tried so So hard hard to not do that. And And that is immediately what I went to. But I didn't do it. (laughs) Yes, W-U-X-T-R-Y records. Wuxtree records. They are just asking for people to fuck it up. That's Yeah, you know what? I didn't go into They're the... asking for people to Elmer Fudd the shit out of their fucking <laughs> Be very, record. very quiet. I'm, I'm going, going to, to Wuxtree records. <laughs> All right, that's fair. <laughs> Michael was a weird kid and had an eclectic taste in music. Every visit, he would grab records from the artsy or more obscure artists, much to the store clerk's chagrin. Why? Peter Buck was the clerk. Oh. And he would usually tuck those records deep into the shelves so it was so hard for have... anyone else to find. Yeah. He, would, he wanted them. He would label them cheapy peepy so that oh. nobody would be interested and just like tuck them away. And he's like, nobody's going to want this Velvet Underground record. No. <gasps> Wait, which one is the Elmer Fudd in this situation? <laughs> um, probably Peter Buck. Peter Buck would be, and Elmer then like Fudd. Michael Stipe is definitely the Bugs Bunny because he's fucking oh, yeah. up all of his oh, plans. Yeah, yeah. that's he's how this foiling works. everything. He's foiling everything at Walks We Weckons. <laughs> at first, Peter found Michael's ability to sniff out the rare stuff annoying, but eventually it brought them together and they became friends. Aw, yeah. Peter was born on December sixth, nineteen fifty six, in Berkeley, California. After graduating high school, he went to Emory University in Georgia, but dropped out before graduating. By the time he was working at Wuxtree, <laughs> he was back at school, also attending at the University of Georgia. Michael brought up the idea of being a band to Peter, but initially he turned him down because Peter believed guys and bands were assholes. But Michael <laughs> basically told him, but hey, we could just not be assholes. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah. And from there, they began to create songs together. Aww. But I really like that Peter's like, nah, man, guys, the bands are assholes. And Michael's just like, but you don't have to be exactly. one. Exactly. He's like, you know we don't have to, right? <laughs> That's adorable. As these two bonded over music, their friend group expanded. And eventually they met two guys who had been making attempts at a music career for a little bit at this point. Bill Barry and Mike Mills. The alliteration dream team. I was just going to say, wow, the alliteration on their names I is know. ridiculous. It's so good. They could have like called themselves like the, the alliteration boys. Yeah. That's that's what I would have done. But that's probably why I don't have a band. But it should be the illiteration boys. Nah. <laughs> oh my and they God. could be a white boy rap group. <laughs> 
Sure. That's how this should have. There's a timeline where that happened. Yeah, there is. Bill, or as I like to call him, eyebrows. Because whole. <laughs> oh, he's the one with the eyebrows. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> what? Those are some fucking caterpillars I'm on that sorry. man's face. And, and like, you know what? You shouldn't give a fuck what anybody thinks about you and, like, everyone's beautiful. No, I'm not making fun of him. I'm impressed. Oh, no. I I feel like maybe, like, you could groom those down a little. Oh, you can. But also, I'm impressed. I know. He don't give a (laughs) fuck. But also, groom those things. Oh, my God. They are terrifying. Yeah. But this was also well before men understood you could do such things like groom your eyebrows. And not be assholes in a band. And, like shower daily yeah it's so weird I <laughs> you know these some kind of people things still don't understand that. yeah they don't anyway so bill was born july 31st 1958 <laughs> in duluth minnesota he also moved around a lot with his family mostly in the midwest until he finally settled in macon georgia when bill was in high school and there he attended mount de sales academy where he also met and befriended mike oh so they met in high school and Bill was always into music, dabbling in many things, but mostly sticking to drums. Mike, on the other hand, was primarily a bassist. Mike was born in Orange County, California on December 17th, 1958. His family moved to Macon, Georgia when he was a preteen. So none of these guys are from the South. That's just where they happened to meet. Yeah. Together, Bill and Mike were in a few bands together. One band was known as Shadowfax. <laughs> so... From this, we can assume they are pretty big nerds. Oh, God, I hope so. Right? Okay. Definitely. So nothing really stuck, and they ended up figuring day jobs and college degrees were probably in order. Yeah. It wasn't long before these four met up and quickly bonded, again, over their love for music. They began to work- Not their love for Lord of the Rings? I mean, come on. I don't know where Peter and Michael fall with Lord of the Rings. I would hope they fall on the side of, we fucking love it. Yeah, because that's pretty much the only side you're allowed to be on. Uh, Basically. Yeah. They began to work on some songs together, and it was just a creative outlet at first. But it didn't take much prodding to see that they had something unique going on here. Like most people who start a band, there was no grand plan to this at all. They were just going to make music and see where it went. They played at small gatherings, supporting other local bands, all the while with no set band name. Huh. They had played around with names like Twisted Kites or my personal favorite, Cans of Piss. (laughs) (laughs) What? That is not a name for a mellow alternative band. (laughs) Cans of Piss. Cans of... Why cans? (laughs) Why not a bucket? How how did, this come, how did this come about? I don't know. This, again, they are very difficult there to research. There is a story behind that that I desperately want to know. If you guys know the story behind Cans of Piss, let us know. Well, fortunately, they didn't love anything they came up with. Oh, good. Well, Cans of Piss, I mean. I just don't know if I would have been into, uh, you know, Night Swimming by Cans of Piss. Or Losing My Religion by Cans, cans of Piss. Piss. Or this one goes out to the one I love. Or by what's Kansas. the frequency, Kenneth, by Cans of Piss? <laughs> just, none of those really work. No, no. It just doesn't have the same. It doesn't roll off your tongue as much. It's really missing that certain je ne sais quoi. <laughs> Cans of Piss just don't really have it. No. <laughs> so legend has it that during a rehearsal, they're hanging out, and Michael grabbed a dictionary and selected words at random. When he landed on REM for rapid eye movement. 
They, they decided this would true. be the perfect name. They say it. Like, some have argued that that might not be where the name came from, but if you watch interviews, that's what that's they what say they the story is. Because I feel like I remember at some point in, like, the late 90s or early 2000s, everyone was like, oh, REM doesn't mean rapid eye movement. But I, mean, I don't remember what the supporting uh, evidence was. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know what... It, well, so... There's another story that apparently Michael was really into this obscure Kentucky-based photographer named Ralph Eugene Meatyard. That's not real. That's not a real name. Meatyard. <laughs> when your Meat family yard. Came, when your family came off the boat and they're like, "What do you guys?" And they're do? going through Ellis Island and they're trying in like the worst broken English to explain that they have cows. <laughs> That they're cattle ranchers. But they just end up coming up with meat yard and they're like, all right, you're the meat yards. Yeah. So that's I a can't. thing. Yeah. That's All the fucking just names in this shit don't you, make any sense. To this day, you can go to Ellis Island and go to the memorial that has all the names of all the people that have passed through Ellis Island. And you can look up And you meat can yard. go to the M's and look up the meat yards. Oh, they were a good, strong family. <laughs> A hearty folk. A hearty Russian folk. I imagine they were Russian. Sure. Meat yard. <laughs> anyway, so Ralph here would sign all of his works R-E-M. And so people think that because Michael Stipe was really into him at the time, that he was influenced to call his band R-E-M and Rapid Eye Movement. Something it could be a little mix of both. The dictionary story sounds far more plausible. I don't know, meat yard. <laughs> but I like the meat yard. I do like the meat yard. They have the meat yards. Yards of meat. Oh, that sounds disgusting. Yards and yards of meat. Ugh. It's just, it's like rotting in the sun. <laughs> you don't sell enough. Don't put it out there. Don't put it in the yard. Put it in the fridge. <laughs> that's where meat belongs. No, that's how the meat yards do it. Oh my God. <laughs> that's what gives it that certain that, spicy yeah. taste. The tangy flavor. (laughs) Your meat shouldn't be tangy. (laughs) Wow. All right. I digress. It wasn't long after that, the boys decided to drop out of school and immerse themselves in the growing Athens music scene. I realize now, I think I said that our story started in Atlanta, Georgia. It definitely was Athens, Georgia. So I'm going back to bring that to my bad typo. (laughs) That was my bad. I am sorry. Well, there you have it. It's anyway, Athens. We are not in Athens, a, not Georgia. Not Hotlanta. Not Hotlanta. Athens is more of a hipster joint, I feel like. But I yeah. could be wrong. I've never been. Correct me if I'm wrong. Anyway, while many people focus on places like New York City and LA as hot spots for music, Athens was home to a lot of alternative and new wave groups. Not just REM, but others like Pylon, Widespread Panic, and the B-52s. Oh, well, there you go. The Rock Lobster came from Georgia. Rock Lobster. Rock Lobster went down to Georgia. He was looking for a score. <laughs> it's the lobster playing a fiddle. Oh my god. <laughs> I want that. Nobody will get it. But I will. <laughs> Throughout 1980, the band's popularity shot right up with a rock sound that no one had really heard before. Arpeggios played by a guitar, a bass playing counter melodies, and deep poetic lyrics. It was a sensible answer for those looking for something 
maybe a little bit new and different after the rage of punk punk was dying out. Mm -hmm. And it is a good counterbalance to post-punk, I feel like. Yeah. Like, this type of alternative coming in was definitely a little harder than a sad... It wasn't sad boy songs, the way post-punk is. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I fucking love post-punk. You could still get your rocks off with the hardcore, like, baseline or whatever. Yeah. But you could have a little emotion with it. Exactly. With you the got, nice lyrics. It was it was a little ballsier, I guess, than post-punk in, in the sound way. <laughs> yeah. This, uh, this girly music's got some balls to it. <laughs> yeah. It's girly music <laughs> with balls. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Yep. That's it. <laughs> You're welcome. They were playing more and more local shows. Eventually, they got a van and began touring southern United States. Oh, you get a van. They got a van. Uh, you guess it's time. Where else can you go? Um, Anywhere. You got a okay. van. Oh <laughs> I was like, the South? <laughs> go anywhere that fucking van will take I mean, you. Which probably is why they stayed to the South. I doubt yeah, it was pro- that good of a van. It, yeah, it, pro- it was probably a bad van. It was, it was a good enough van. Good enough van good enough van but times were still tight and they had a daily food budget of only two dollars per <laughs> member that's like a bag of fritos and a diet coke yeah so not well, in, in like 1985 not now probably a bag of fritos and two diet cokes in 1985 1980 1980 oh yeah, oh, yeah. you could get two diet cokes for that yeah yeah maybe even like a diet coke and a regular coke just get real spicy with it Ooh. Anyway, (laughs) despite what some might have thought, they were certainly paying their dues with the old tour routine, and they were gathering fans all over, and better gigs as well. By the time they opened for the police, they knew it was time to get some songs recorded, finally. They opened for the police and they didn't even have a fucking album? Yeah. Now, granted, this is 1980s police. Yeah. But I don't think they had hit their stride yet. Really? I don't know. I'm really bad with times with the police. Look, I don't, I'm don't. i not a police expert. Neither am I. I don't... I I want to say the police started in the 70s. No, they definitely I, did. But, um... Like I mean, they were... 75? I don't know. They probably I had, very, like, Don't Stand So Close to Me or something else. I No, I very much remember Don't Stand So Close to Me from when I was a kid, because I really liked that song. When I was a kid. <laughs> then you grew up be like, oh no. Yeah, and I was like, why did my parents let me listen to this? From the get-go, R.E.M. had a very democratic method when it came to creating songs. Everyone has a say and the opportunity to contribute. And Michael usually didn't add lyrics until the music was pretty much already made. That would probably be how I did it, too. Right. Um, He just would let the instrumentation inspire the lyrics. They got involved with producer Mitch Easter and got his help to put together a demo tape, which included their first single, Radio Free Europe. Right away, the band was showing the world what they could expect from these guys. The four-track demo tape was released in 1981 through Atlanta-based indie label Hibtone. Initially, there were only 1,000 copies made, 600 of which were sent out just as promo copies. Soon after they discovered... That wasn't enough, and they had to press another 6,000. Wow. Because bitches wanted this jam. They had a solid manager in their good friend and record store manager, Jefferson Holt. Did he manage, what is it, Wux Tweet Weckers? He might have worked at Wux Tweet Weckers. <laughs> oh, boy. 
Holy shit. <laughs> Some even referred to him as the unofficial fifth member of the band because he just had that much involvement. Wuxt we wickets. <laughs> yeah, wuxt we wickets. Oh my we God, have I... so much involvement. I hate you so much. <laughs> Getting them wuxt we <laughs> Getting them wuxt we out. <laughs> Boy had an eye for taking the right path and heavily encouraged R.E.M. to make an EP after all this initial success. Well, if he can manage Wuxley Wackers... Oh my god, but he didn't! <laughs> then he can surely manage R.E.M. Oh, R.E.M. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> my god, you won't believe what happens! <laughs> so enter Chronic Town, their debut EP. Jefferson figured he would just release it on his small indie label called Dashed Hopes. But instead, the guys had labels fighting tooth and nail to sign them. I kind of feel like Dashed Hopes is just the wrong name for a record label. Yeah, I mean, like, if you want people to sign to your record label, probably don't call it Dashed yeah, Hopes. Yeah, it's not a good idea. No, not really. There was a battle between indie label IRS Records and RCA. Also, don't name your label IRS Records. Yeah, I mean, like, nobody's not a good making idea. a good choice at this yeah. point. And what was the other one? It's RCA. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, <laughs> but IRS run it, won out as they would let the band have total creative control over their material. That always wins out. Yeah. Well, and especially right now, that mattered way more than money to this yeah. group. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Total control really matters. <laughs> Having total control is really important. Yeah. In these uncertain times. And I'm sure some people like total control in the bedroom. I bet they do, though. <laughs> If you really are looking to have total control in the bedroom, maybe you should hop on over to adamandeve.com. Because you know what? If you go to adamandeve.com and use our little code when you check out, Mm -hmm. that's CandyPod, C-A-N-D-Y-P-O-D, not the band. Not the band. You can get a whole lot of free shit. Yeah. First of all, you're going to get pretty much anything for 50% off. Yeah. So that's already one sweet deal right there. And then you're going to get a free gift for one of y'alls. Yeah. A free gift for her. And then a free gift for another one of y'alls. Probably a him. Maybe a him. Maybe. Maybe. And then you get another free gift for somebody. Yeah. Which we're just going to assume is them. Yeah. So this way we're covering all our bases. Yeah. Cover all your bases. Total control. Over Total your bedroom. control. But then there's more. There's more. So you can get six, count them. One, two, three. Four, five, six. Movies. Movies. Sexy, sexy movies. So sexy. Because Adam and Eve knows what's good. Yeah. And they want you to have total control on your TV as well. <laughs> and then you can get also free shipping yes. and all that shit. So you basically have total control over your genitals right now. Yeah. And Which, I mean, honestly, is how it should be. And also total control over anybody's genitals that gives you permission to with have. With consent. With consent. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, honestly, guys, this is a great deal. You should go slide on over to yeah. adamandeve.com. And then you can get 50% off of almost any item. Yeah. Three free gifts. Mm-hmm. And six free movies. And free shipping. That's so much stuff. Just have to use our code at checkout. And what is it? Candy Pod. Yeah. 
C-A-N-D-Y-P-O-D. Not the band. Yes. And I mean, like, yo, we know you got your stimulus check. Spend it on some sex toys. You get your stimulus check to stimulate you. Anyway, back to the story. <laughs> you know what's not quite as sexy as AdamEve.com, though? R.E.M.? Yeah. I mean, they're great. They're great, but... Uh... Sex symbols, they are not. Oh, no. They're trying. Michael Stipe is... Yo, if you're into eyebrows, R.E.M. is the band for you. If that's your thing, boy, oh, boy. Have we got news for you. <laughs> and so, in 1982, not long after first getting together and writing songs... It's like two years, not even three that they've been together. Yep. R.E.M. had already a contract in place and a successful EP with the likes of NME praising their unique new sound. Wow. Which, let's be honest, NME can be a lot of picky pants. They are very picky and um, they're not pitchfork picky. Right, that's true. But they're picky about the weirdest shit. Right? Like, it doesn't... Enemy doesn't make sense to me very much. Right. So, eh, yeah. They're picky. Yes, they're a little picky. When they went to work on their full LP, IRS set them up with producer Stephen Haig, who was good and all, but also very focused on technical perfection, which really isn't R.E.M.'s M.O. I feel like it's never anybody's M.O., unless you're like a super pop star or like really into being appealing to as many people as humanly possible. Nobody's really like, I want to sound absolutely fucking pin drop perfect. Yeah, but also, especially around this time in the 80s with these bands and these groups, it's a little grungier. It was a little Yeah, more... I don't, they wanted it to be a little more raw. I don't think they wanted yeah. it to be polished. Yeah. But Steven was like, mm-mm, nope, we're going for perfection. Okay. He forced the band to do many retakes of the same song, which Bill specifically found really demoralizing. On one track, Catapult, Stephen brought it to a studio in Boston to add keyboards without their permission. What? Right? How can you do that? Because you're an asshole? Yeah, asshole producers. Enough was enough for them, and R.E.M. asked their label if they could work with their old producer, Mitch Easter, instead. IRS agreed to give him a trial run. (laughs) Once they completed the track Pilgrimage, they sent it over to the execs, who agreed to let them continue with Mitch and his producing partner, Don Dixon. Good. Because you were getting some good shit out of them, finally. Yeah. Because they weren't being... And Don Dixon also has that alliteration... Yeah, I mean, like, there... ...that is required for this kind of job with R.E.M. (laughs) I mean, let's face it. (laughs) R.E.M.'s just filled with alliteration and acronyms. And eyebrows. And eyebrows. Yeah. Alliteration, acronyms, eyebrows. Yeah. That's really what R.E.M.'s about. Yes. I-A-E. They should have called themselves I-A-E. I-A-E. Oh my god, nope. And yes. (laughs) After the bad taste left from Steven, Mitch and John took a very hands-off approach to producing. Which is what they wanted. Exactly. Only asking for retakes when it was absolutely necessary. And the band refused to incorporate any rock cliches like guitar solos or the presence of synthesizers. They just wanted a straight raw sound. And they they really don't. Yeah. The final product released was their debut album, Murmurs. Fans and critics alike praised it, 
saying the band made good on the promise of more good music based on their EP. Mm-hmm. As the next few years came and went, R.E.M. was still seeing moderate success. They were getting positive critical reception, but still not a ton of airplay, and they were viewed more as a college rock band. But throughout this time, they were developing a really solid cult fan base. One day, I hope to procure a cult fan base also. Hmm. I don't... I don't don't trust that. (laughs) Hmm. So this thrust into success was a little much for Michael, who may have been the lead singer, but was at his core a very shy person. Going up on stage in front of more and more people was a hard thing for him to come to terms with. When they first started, he actually had very long hair that he would keep in his face. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, he did that on purpose. So that, that way he wouldn't have to see the crowd and he felt like he was that hiding. Is, that is very Maynard James Kegels of him. Ma- James, James Mayonnaise Kegels. Excuse me, of him. Because, uh, yeah, Maynard James Keenan does that still, like, to this day. Oh. But he really only does it when he's performing with Tool. When he's performing with Pucifer, he's, like, he's not really in front stage or anything. He's kind of in the back singing. And with... Uh, a perfect, perfect circle. circle. He's pretty much in front, but he keeps it dark. He doesn't do any spotlights on him or anything. You know, what I'm just gonna say though, I feel like that's that's just a stylistic choice. I think it, no. At first, it was at least at first, it was very much because he was like terrified. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm sure. Um, at this point, probably stylistic. Yeah, probably. So going up on stage for Michael was just a hard thing for him to come to terms with. The long hair in his face. He wasn't much of a mover when he was on stage. And many thought he acted the complete antithesis of a rock star. He wasn't on stage to be like, look at me, celebrate oh, yeah. me. I, I can't picture him being that way. <laughs> but honestly, this might have been what his appeal was to so many people. That he wasn't on stage saying, oh my god, look at me. He was just, I just want to just like, be. who is he? He's so mysterious. And but he's like, who is he? And he's just like, stop looking at me. But you know what, though? Michael did begin to find a comfort in his weird ways on stage, and he became a little less shy with every performance. He even decided dyeing his hair may draw attention, but he wanted to do it anyway. And it was because he saw a bowl of mustard one night. Wait. So back, the story is that I one have night... so many questions. So I guess one night backstage, before they went on stage, he saw this bowl of mustard, you know, probably just part of their food thing or whatever like why is it in a bowl i don't know people are weird but he looked at it and he asked one of the i couldn't remember if it was a bandmate or a or you know just like a roadie and he's like doesn't that doesn't that kind of make you just want to dip your head in it and the guy's like no that's fucking weird (laughs) so he dipped his head in it and had like mustard hair and he did it for a couple nights and he's like nah fuck it i'll just dye my hair yeah just dye your hair and then he dyed his hair stop putting mustard in your hair yeah i don't think it's going to condition it very well no in 1985 they switched up their recording process for the third album fables of the reconstruction and got new producers and they recorded in england and this was a fancy schmancy well yeah i think they thought they're being fancy schmancy but this was a really rough time for the guys who found the weather and the food of where they were being or where they were at the moment to be pretty lousy. Well, I guess if you're going from Georgia to England, yeah, but also I would 
absolutely love to be there. I would thrive in that kind of environment. It's so weird to me because I feel like there are people who either like love going to Europe or they fucking hate going to Europe. Oh, I love it. Especially for, um, I mean, yeah, especially the UK and Britain because the weather is kind of dreary. Yeah. And I think I some that, people though. just aren't ready to handle that. Yeah. I'm totally here for that gothic, romantic, dreary day kind of old castle musty shit yeah, right? i love it no it's lovely but some people are just don't i just want to float through a fucking hedge maze in a flowy black dress and just <laughs> lounge on a chaise lounge and uh, oh here's the daily rain at 4 p.m yep mm, yes but on top of all that this was a concept album with a focus on the myths and folklore of the southern u.s okay. Okay. Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting. A lot of the band's gloomy ennui was transferred onto these songs. <laughs> gloomy ennui. That was my. That was me. I came up <laughs> with that because that's, that's kind of what it felt like when you hear them talk about it. It's like it just feels like an ennui that you guys yeah. have, and you're just being really gloomy and sad. Michael Stipe is like the personification of gloomy ennui. Oh my god! But he is. <laughs> he really is. Oh man, the process of creating this album was tough. And the band did have a brief brief moment of doubt if they'd even keep going after this. Wow, England's hard, guys. England's so hard. I know to hear them talk about like, oh my god, but like it's so so hard. hard. The food's not really that good, and it rains a lot. You should have known that before you went to England, guys. Hey, REM, you should have known this was gonna gonna be be some some bullshit. bullshit. Yeah, you should have known. But go on, they did, and despite getting bigger. They were actually still pretty nice guys. The bands that toured with them had nothing but nice things to say. The guys who were coming out, or I'm sorry, the bands who were coming out to open for them were asked to fill out a survey that included like clothing sizes (laughs) and like, you know, just little details. But tell us about your stay on tour. (laughs) (laughs) But they would, uh, REM would end up providing like shoes and clothes to these guys. Uh Uh-huh. Because they wanted them to be equipped and ready for the things that, like, they didn't realize they needed to have on tour. Uh, so they're, like, big brothering they're it. They're big brothering it. But not, it's... like, big brother, but, oh, like, no. oh, older brothering it. I'm like, hey, big brother. Now, like, I'm your big brother. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to take care of you. Yeah. It, Here's it my wing. Nice. Get under it. Yeah. They totally took these guys under their wing. It was really nice. That's sweet. Yeah. They're good guys. The guys still weren't managing real mainstream success. Still not cracking into any top 40 charts, and this was beginning to frustrate IRS records. I mean, even as well as R.E.M. But the band, like, they weren't going to let this stop them. They decided if they were to gain notoriety, it was going to be on their terms. Okay. Quite frankly, this mode of thinking worked in R.E.M.'s favor. They garnered the respect of critics and their peers. And sometimes you just got to wait for good things. And that waiting can pay off. Mm -hmm. In 1988, they released the fifth album, Document, which was their first album to not only have a hit single, but also to go platinum. Oh, I bet I know what this single is. What single do you think it is? This one goes out to the one I love. It is. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) The one I love has seen many confusing it for a love song because of its chorus. It is not a love song. It is not a love song. If you listen through the verses, nothing could be farther from the truth. Yep. The song starts with a simple prop to occupy my time. Yep. 
It's clearly a song about using people over and over again to fill a hole. Yeah. <laughs> fill a hole. <laughs> but, like, literally. Yeah. I mean, yes, an emotional hole, but also, like, that hole. The song peaked at number nine in the charts and is a well-known R.E.M. standard. I always like a song that just has, like, yelling for a chorus. Fire! <laughs> yeah. That is a very good impression. Yes. Fire! <laughs> Yeah, actually, I do. I never really paid attention to lyrics until uh-huh. researching the episode, and I was like, "Oh, this is a really dark, fucked up song." Yeah, it is definitely just a person who's like, "I'm never really gonna be in love with someone. I'm just gonna keep bouncing from person to person." Yeah, it's just kind of a fucked up thing. Maybe see a therapist. I don't know. <laughs> Here we Maybe are. Maybe get it looked at. Maybe check it out. I don't know. The other song you'd probably recognize from this album is It's the End of the World as We Know It, and I Feel Fine. Yeah. (laughs) The lyrics reflect almost a stream of consciousness floating from Michael Stipe's brain. There are many references to gentlemen with the initials LB. Lenny Bruce, Leonard Bernstein. Leonard Bernstein! Yeah, that's the only part that any of us can ever get. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Um... Michael said he had a dream where he was at a party and he was surrounded by famous people with those initials. So the song developed from that. Huh. Yeah. So this song didn't do quite as well as the one I love, but still has managed to fall into most people's songs by R.E.M. that I know lists. (laughs) It's timeless. It is timeless. And yet, despite how well they were doing in the U.S. at this point, R.E.M. was still not seeing international numbers like they really were expecting to. Yeah. And that was due in large part to our IRS not distributing the albums globally. Why not? Well, their distributor wasn't, like, IRS was just an indie label, and so they uh-huh. had to distribute through another label. Right. And they weren't doing their due diligence to get it around. Yeah. It was like a chain of bullshit. But also the IRS is a U.S. Uh, agency. So, yeah, I, mean, I mean, like, what they're are not they doing? Gonna, they're not going to go out of the United States. So. Yeah. I mean, what do you guys expect? It's called the Internal Revenue Service for a reason. Yeah, not a great name for your record it's label. It's not. It's, it's terrible. Really bad. <laughs> After the release of this latest album, they let their contract expire, and then they went on to sign with Warner Brothers. Again, money took a backseat to the ability to have creative freedom. Oh, good. They ha- they have their scruples in order. They- scruples <laughs> in order. <laughs> you don't believe <laughs> about the scruples. Scruples in order. Oh my god. No, scruples in order. They- no, they did it again. <laughs> scruples in order. <laughs> Holy shit. Wux we wackos. Wux we wackos. Holy cow. <laughs> Elmer fudding this episode. <laughs> fudding this episode right up. We're Elmer fudding through this episode. Real hard. Real hard. Fortunately, this was the right move because they saw even more commercial success with, with their next album, Green, and even ah, more yes. hit singles to come out and get this album to also hit platinum status. At this point, the boys in REM had gotten pretty open about approaching political topics, using their platforms as a way to speak out against unjust things that are happening in our world. 
Many lyrics have attacked the years of living under Reagan, McCarthyism, and just like a whole slew of bullshit that we've yep. dealt with. Orange crushes, no, not a reference to the thirst-quenching soft drink. You know, let's be honest, it doesn't really thirst your qu- quench your thirst anyway. It doesn't thirst my quench either. <laughs> it doesn't thirst your quench, it doesn't quench your thirst. But actually, it's about the Vietnam War and the use of Agent Orange. Right. Michael was a military brat. He lived on bases and lived through the time of that war. He heard many horror stories from the men that came back. He wrote this song for the soldiers who came back to a country that was unjustly blaming them for the war. Was his dad in Vietnam? Yes. He was, uh, uh, I believe, uh, like a helicopter pilot, if oh, I'm shit. not mistaken. So, I mean, Michael has first hand accounts from people yeah, I about what was going down. I wouldn't want to be a helicopter pilot in no. the Vietnam War. I'm I'm fairly certain that's what he did. If I am wrong, feel free to correct me. Honestly, any part you had to play You know, going in, to Vietnam at all just really wasn't great. Yeah, especially a part in a helicopter because they did a lot of their bombings, they did a lot of their shootings a by lot of helicopters. The Agent Orange spreading. And spreading Agent Orange in helicopters. So yeah. that's got to be a shitty job. Yeah. What did even better was their single stand, another socially conscious tune for the masses. In it, there's an underlying message about being aware of the area that you live in, taking care of it, watching out for your neighbors, even something simple like cleaning up litter or taking the time to notice things you might not have without looking at it. You know, going through this episode and you reminding me of all of their uh, singles. Right. Reminds me of how much I get their songs stuck in my head for no good reason. Like, mm-hmm. they're just in there. Stand because, in like, the place where you, you live, live now, now, face now. north. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this just pops into my head if I'm just standing around. I just and remember I think... that this was the theme song to his show on Fox. It was? Yeah, I was like, get a life or something. I don't remember what it was called. <laughs> Some very short-lived I, I've read that and I've read that like 30 times researching this and I don't remember anymore. <laughs> but yeah, no, if I'm just standing around and I think while I'm standing around, if I think I'm just standing around, then immediately stand in, in the, the place, place where you live. I'm like, fuck, now Ari, I'm stuck in my head. Yep. Yeah. Welcome to hell. <laughs> but it's not bad. Like, I'm okay with it. Oh, yeah. No, they're great songs. But yeah, I totally get them stuck in my head, too. I. The tune itself was almost a bit of a piss take on the 60s pop groups like the Banana Splits and the Monkees. It kind of sounds like that. Right, because it's just a simple riff that takes the last couple rounds of the chorus and makes them one whole step higher than the last, which apparently is called a truck driver's gear change. (laughs) What? Yep. (laughs) Did not know that. I have never heard of that before. I don't know. The internet says it's a thing. That's uh, Well, if the internet says it, it's true. It's gotta be true. (laughs) But nothing would prepare the band for the success that they would see on their next album, Out of Time. Oh, boy. Released in 1990. And, like, if you guys have been like, I don't know about these songs, let me tell you, you're going to fucking know these songs. (laughs) By this point, R.E.M. wasn't just experimenting with politically charged lyrics, but also new instruments like strings and mandolin, saxophone, loops and echoes. Just they were like, let's see what the... Throw it at the wall and see what sticks. If there was a button, they were going to push it. Exactly. All of this culminates in the band's best-known single, Losing My Religion, a song that has nothing to do with questioning theology, Yeah, but is actually a song about unrequited love. And boy, were they asked about religion after this, though. Oh, yeah, because this is like the early 90s. I'm like, I'm sorry. Are you talking about religion? 
Oh, what do you mean? Are you atheists? Oh. oh, clutch my pearls. In the South, to say you're, quote, losing your religion means you're losing your patience and getting frustrated. Oh. Yep. This song is about being in love with someone and not knowing how they feel about you. Throughout the song, he's trying to express his love for this person, but is not sure how to read their responses, and it's slowly driving him mad. Oh. Yeah. And I, I never, like, even thought about it, but it's, yeah, like, that's me in the corner, that's me in the spotlight, like, oh no, I've said too much. It's like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, he's just, like, it's like that time when you're, like, you're into somebody and you're like, I think they're into me. And like, you take those little, those little love kernels that they might be giving you. And you're like, I'm but you're not gonna... sure, but you can also like twist them around and, and try to find the message, secret message. That yeah. There may or very well may not be. Yeah. The haunting mandolin throughout the song is a result of Peter buying a mandolin and trying to teach himself to play. He's <laughs> just like, all right, let's see. All right. This sounds cool. We're gonna Guess do this. I'll record myself while I do it. Yeah. And it worked out great. Mike's baseline is inspired by the work of Fleetwood Mac's John McVie. Oh. Which you can yeah, totally hear because as I have been listening to this song a lot, I'm like, I want to learn the bass to this. I've been trying to teach myself. And it's John McVie in this song, actually a lot of Mike Mills's songs, it's like they are, they look like they're easy. Oh, but they're not. And they're because it's because it's, it makes sense. It makes so much sense. But technically... That's where the complication comes in. Yeah. Like, you look at them, and you listen to it, and you're like, this makes sense, I get it, but, like, the technical aspect is very... That's where that's where the real genius for these guys comes in. Also, that's where the fuck-ups happen. Hi. <laughs> that's where I'm like, can I take these notes out and just play, like, the same, like, quarter oh, note? Yep, yep, Great. I'm gonna okay. do this. This is fine. <laughs> All of it came together to make this their highest charting hit, reaching number four on Billboard. Another hit single off this album, and in fact, the last one to reach the top ten for them, is Shiny Happy People. Oh my god. A fluff song for kids that they just wrote on a whim. It features Kate Pearson from the B-52s on backup vocals. Oh my love. Right? However. Yeah. I want to, if this song had a face, I'd punch it. Well, honestly, R.E.M. kind of hates this song too. Good. They They've, should. They basically <laughs> said something along the lines of, if there were to be a song shot into space to represent R.E.M., we really hope this wouldn't be the one. <laughs> oh. and, yeah, no, not this one. Please, no. This yeah. is not them at no. all. And, and even even on Space Ghosts, they admitted, Michael Stipe said, I hate that song. <laughs> there is a classic Space Ghost episode where he has Michael Stipe on, and he's like, come on, sing that song. Shiny, shiny people. And Michael Stipe's like, I hate that song, Space Ghosts. And Space was like, yeah, me too. I feel you, Space Ghost. Nobody likes that song. Not even Space Ghost Except likes me. it. Except me. Of course you I like bet, it. I bet Brack likes it. Brack probably fucking loves it, but uh, what's his fucking name? Zorak. Zorak fucking hates it. Yeah, he does. Out of Time was a massive hit for the band. It hit number one in the Billboard charts and won three Grammys. It is also known as one of the most politically significant albums of all time. And this was because they had a petition included in the CD packaging Ooh. that buyers were encouraged to fill out and mail in to convince Congress to vote for the Motor Voter Act of 1930, 1993. The Motor Voter Act? Mm. It was called something else, but Motor Voter Act sounded way cooler. <laughs> the consumers answered the call, and by 1995, Bill Clinton passed the bill. And basically, the Motor Voter Act was 
people could register for the like to vote uh-huh. at the DMV. Oh, like, yeah. That's when they decided like when you like when teenagers apply for their um for their licenses, license. they can apply to vote like if they're 18 or older. Okay. So that's when it started being included. Because that makes REM sense was, because I never understood why you could register to vote while you're at the DMV. Like, what? Yep, and that's when they did it because they figured that would be a very convenient time. REM was very much into the Rock the Vote movement yeah. when it was actually something that yeah. did something. <laughs> MTV tried really hard, and I have to commend MTV for their 90s, like, real movement that they tried yeah. to have happen with Rock the Vote. Yeah, yeah. Because nobody was fucking voting. Yeah, and Michael Stipe would do a lot of PSAs. Like, this one, he did um, some for just, like, the pollution of the earth. And, like, hey, can you fucking not? Even Dave Mustaine went out and talked to people for Rock the Vote. Yeah. He did a lot of shit for MTV for Rock the Vote. And he did it for the Democratic side, which is hilarious because he's not a Democrat anymore. I don't know what he is. He's some... He's a Joe Exotic. <laughs> You know he voted for Joe Exotic. Hey, I like this guy's views on things. I'm going to vote for him. Carol fucking Baskin. That bitch. (laughs) Killed her husband. It's going to be on our next record. Oh my God, but if they did write a song, I would be... If Megadeth did an entire album about Tiger King, I would buy it like 15 times. times. Yeah, yeah. Easily. I'm here for They're They're it. the only ones only that can Megadeth. do. Only Megadeth can do an album on Joe Exotic. <laughs> and do it justice. And do it justice. Oh my God. Right. So at this point, R.E.M. was over the touring life. They decided instead of burning themselves out with more time on the road, getting back into the studio was a better idea. And so it was only a year later that they released their eighth studio album, Automatic for the People. Wow, that was their eighth album. Right? Crazy. Yeah. Initially, the band set out to make a harder rock album than the last, but all of that kind of fell through with songs such as Drive, Night Swimming, and Everybody Hurts. Oh. BT Dubs, Night Swimming is probably my favorite R.E.M. song, though. It's just so pretty. It's a really good one. It's about singing. It's about swimming naked (laughs) at night, and you're like, I hope nobody catches me swimming naked. The only time they're actually literal about it. But it's also, like, a pretty song. Yeah, it is. Actually, real quick, that song was apparently about a night watchman who, like, they had hired to uh, watch, I don't know, one of their studios or something. And he would, like, call Michael Stipe in the middle of the night with, like, conspiracy theories. And Michael Stipe wanted to write a song about him. Is is that Dennis Rader? (laughs) Did they hire Dennis Rader? They probably did. I think it was Dennis Rader. It was Dennis Rader. (laughs) As far as everybody hurts... That was written by Michael as a direct message to teenagers that, yeah, life sucks, but you have to hold on. And unlike R.E.M.'s other songs, they felt being direct would work best for this subject. Yeah. Like, hey. They're right. But the really sad flip side to the song is that a year after its release, Michael would see the death of his really good friend Kurt Cobain from Suicide. Yep. He was working with Kurt mm-hmm. on a project or they were actually in talks, I think, about doing something together. Yeah. Outside of Nirvana, outside of R.E.M. And they were just becoming really good friends. Oh, yeah. They would just hang out and talk music yep. and bullshit and politics and shit. Yep. 
Oh, yeah. No, Courtney Love talks all about it in the behind the music for R.E.M. Oh, I'm sure she fucking does. Fuck off, Courtney. I think that was during one of her rare sober, like, eras. Because she didn't seem like a hot mess. But you know what? She was still trying to get attention. But you know what? (laughs) Courtney is one of those people where it doesn't matter if she's high or not. She could be completely sober. She's still going to tell lies. Oh, yeah. And say anything she can to get attention because that's what she fucking wants. It's like she's a sociopath or something. It's like she's, yeah, I mean, diagnosed or not. She is. She's a fucking sociopath. A more upbeat track from the album is Man on the Moon. Oh. Yeah, which we drank. It also has a tie to Kurt, too. You'll notice there's a ridiculous amount of yas in the song. <laughs> well, that's because Michael teased his friend about using so many yas in his songs, so he wanted to outdo him. The entire chorus of Lithium is just yas. Yeah. I think, <laughs> actually, though, Man on the Moon might still have more yas. Maybe. Yeah. That's what Michael wanted. The song is a bit of an ode to Andy Kaufman, uh-huh. but also to conspiracy theories and general out there things in life that can't really be explained. But initially, the song had no lyrics, and Michael didn't think there should have been any. But his bandmates had begged him for so long to write some that at the last minute, finally, inspiration struck him. Hmm. Yeah, he thought it would be a better instrumental. And it was the title of the Andy Kaufman movie. Yep. Which Courtney Love was in. Ugh. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Conspiracy theories. <sighs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Automatic for the People didn't hit the exact same spot as its predecessor, but it was still held in high regard and really is some of R.E.M.'s best work. And fun fact, the string arrangements were aided by Zeppelin bassist John Paul Jones. Oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Right? One of the few good members of the Zeppelin. Actually, it's really only Jimmy Page that's real dodgy, right? Um... Yeah, Jimmy Page is dodgy. I haven't heard anything really about Robert Plant, but that doesn't mean anything. That's true. So. All right. I don't know. We'll find out someday. (laughs) I'm sure we'll find out something. Yeah. Despite the fact that touring wasn't currently on the table, they were still putting out music like Mad Men. But this didn't stop the rumor mill by any means. By the early 90s, speculation was that Michael was... (gasps) Gay. Oh. 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 How dare he? Watch those imaginary pearls. And not just was he gay, but that he had contracted HIV and was dying, and that's why they weren't touring. Oh my God, shut up. It was early 90s. This was like the the, the spicy hot topic at the time. Spicy AIDS. Spicy AIDS. No. 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 He knew he had to come out and say something to feed the media beast. So he claimed... As far as he knew, he didn't have HIV. He was just always skinny, and they just wanted to work on new music in lieu of touring. I don't understand how the media got a hold of this kind of rumor. Well, you get one person who had an experience, and then they talk, and then they talk, and then their friends talk, and then it slowly works its way up because, like, tabloids love them. And people are garbage. people are garbage. Mostly it's because people are garbage. Yeah. Okay. But here's the thing. For the record... Michael is not gay. He identifies as queer. Oh. He has been with many men, but he actually also had a relationship with women, including Natalie Mer- Natalie Merchant. 
back in the oh. 80s. Yeah. Cool. Seems like a nice soft little relationship, doesn't it? She's another lady that lives in my hometown area. Oh. She yeah. seems nice. Yeah. She seems like like I have garbage. not heard anything bad about her, so. All right. It's good. It's good. It's good. Yeah. He's had relationships with both, but doesn't even really believe he's bi. He prefers queer because it refers to a total gray area. And he stays pretty private about it. So as far as anyone's concerned, I'm queer. I do what I want. Go fuck yourself. Good for him. Yeah, honestly. And like, who gives a shit who he's boning? Yeah. He did admit later on in life to being afraid for a time that he did have HIV. But this was, you know, back when you couldn't really test easily for it. Yeah. And like, he, he did, he was a big advocate too for HIV testing and nor like, making it more acceptable to talk about. And that's when the, I think that's when some of the rumors started too, because uh, he was wearing a hat that said like end HIV or end AIDS or something. And everyone was like, he must be gay and have AIDS. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> All the puzzle pieces fit together. Isn't it kind of funny now how you can just go to a doctor and say, I want to be tested for AIDS. And they're like, okay, okay. no big deal. No big deal. In fact, when you're a woman and you go to get your like annual and they're like, Hey, we're, do you just want us to like just kind of check you for everything? And you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, and if you like, go to Planned Parenthood for pretty much anything, they're like, hey, you want us to test you for this? You can say, all right. All right. And they'll be like, okay. Cool. We'll and go do that. you get tested for everything. It's yeah. great. No problems. What a time to be alive. <laughs> so after all that, it made sense that they would decidedly tour again after the release of their 1994 album, Monster. This was a bit of a return to rock for them. And I would say it kind of completes this trifecta of their peak success. Mm-hmm. You know, you have Out of Time, Automatic for the People, Monster. Yeah. Those three are like, that's what everybody knows R.E.M. for. What year was that? 94. Okay. This album sees their last top 10 hits, What's the Frequency, Kenneth, and Bang and Blame. The album reached number one in the charts and the accompanying tour was alight with hype. Unfortunately, a lot of things went wrong. Mm. I remember what's the frequency, Kenneth, because the video had a lot of bright colors. Oh. And I'm pretty sure that it came out around the same time as I'm Only Happy When It Rains by Garbage. Oh, maybe. I think. I always associate the two. Um, you know, I'm Only Happy When It Rains might have been a little bit earlier, but I always associate the two because they had very similar, like, bright colors in their videos. Hmm. And that was very typical of, like, 90s music videos. Yeah, right. 90s alternative. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we also, I that. really fucking wanted Shirley Manson's boots. Eventually, I would have, throughout my lifetime, about 20 pairs of them. So, yeah. <laughs> you did it. I did it. You 20 times did it. over. <laughs> oh, my God. Go find, like, 11-year-old Ashley and be like, girl, we did it. We fucking did I'm it. I'm pretty sure the first ones I got were from Delia's out of the mail oh, order catalog yeah. because that was, oh, well before they had brick and mortar stores. Oh, so. Which were never as good as their catalogs. Oh, no. Their catalog was amazing. It really was, though. So oh, good. So many clothes I got from that shit. What the fuck was I talking about? <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> the tour started in January 1995, and it won't be long after that where R.E.M. deals with the first of many uh, hiccups, this one being the scariest. Ooh. On March 1st, in the middle of a show, Bill begins to suffer a blindingly painful headache. Oh. Soon after, he collapses and is rushed to the hospital. They discover he was suffering an aneurysm, and they had to operate immediately. It took about a month for him to recover, 
But instead of continuing on with a session drummer, the guys just waited for him to recover before they went on to the next leg. Well, that's nice. Yeah, they were like, we're not going to fucking leave you here in a hospital in Sweden just chilling while we're touring. That's garbage. We're just going to wait. I mean, granted, if I'm left in a hospital somewhere, I would want it to be in Sweden. Oh, they definitely made some digs. We're like, well, we had, we're in Sweden. We're at least at the best healthcare with the best yeah. doctors and the best this and that. And I'm like, damn, even and in the 90s, they were throwing the, shade. Literally the nicest people. Yeah, seriously. Several months later, Mike was experiencing intense abdominal pain and discovered an intestinal scar that needed to be removed. Huh. And so they took a little time for that as well. Jesus. Yeah. Only a month later, Michael ended up having emergency surgery to repair a hernia. Good lord. It's just kept coming. Good lord, guys. Yeah, they Come were on. really unhealthy that year. Seriously. They weren't doing great. All the while, on top of all of this, they were working on songs for their next record. And a year after all these injuries were finally over, they released their next album, New Adventures in Hi-Fi. It did well, reaching number one, oh. platinum status, all that jazz. But this album didn't see any hot singles the way their previous previous ones did. What is cool, though, is Patti Smith came on to guest on the track Ebo the Letter. Well, shit. Yeah, she was actually a big influence for them, so they were pretty pumped to have her. I'd be too. Yeah, I mean, most people would, let's be honest. But after the release of this record, one of the members would make a decision that would change R.E.M. for good. Bill decided that he was leaving the band. After the aneurysm and nearly two decades working on music, he felt it was time for him to put the drumsticks away for something new. He had always wanted to live a simple life. Specifically, he wanted to have a farm. He spent months debating if this was the right choice when he finally decided on it and told the band... He went to them with one stipulation. He told them he would not quit if it meant the band would split up. He wanted them to stay together and make music even though he wasn't there anymore. They are the nicest fucking people. He may Jesus have Christ. eyebrows, but, but wow. Jesus. But the heart on this the man. Heart is bigger than his eyebrows. <laughs> that tenfold. is adorable. Hey guys, I want to I, I really be a want this farm. But if it's going to bring up the band, I don't want to do it. Yeah, I mean, if you guys aren't going to keep doing music, I'll just keep playing. It's fine. But like, I really I like doing farmer. this, but I really want to farm. Like, that is adorable. How fucking cute is that? And the guys, like, we're just like, but we really don't want you to leave. But also, like, we don't want to force you to stay here if you don't want to yeah. fucking be here. So it took some long talks, but Michael, Peter, and Mike agreed to go on as a trio with Bill's Blessing. No. Right? Bill just wants to lead the simple. He just wants to raise some cows. Honestly, he just wants to have a meat yard. <laughs> Did he change his last name to Meat Yard? He should have. Except, like, then he wouldn't be Bill Barry with that beautiful alliteration. But I like Bill Meat Yard. Bill Meat Yard. <laughs> Excuse me. It's William Meat Yard <laughs> to you. It's William Meat Yard to you. <sighs> However, not so heartwarming. There was another OG departure. Mm. They also had to part ways with their manager, Jefferson. Oh. Uh, the guy who did not manage <laughs> the Weckert store. Oh, he didn't manage the Weckert store? No. Well, they had to get rid of him, though, after sexual harassment charges came up against him. And oh, R.E.M. Yeah. don't tolerate that shit. Yeah, because R.E.M. are upstanding fucking citizens. Like, again. Not like this piece of shit. I don't know if I could have fun and hang out with them. But they are genuinely good human beings. I think we could have a good time. 
However, I don't think they they would drink. I, I would just spend the us, entire so. time like wondering if they hated me. Yeah, because you, you can't. Hate me? I feel like they would all be very difficult to read. Yes, they'd all be very nice. Yes, but you have no idea what they're thinking. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that would be difficult. Right. I don't know if we can party with REM. Well, we could probably have a lovely conversation. Oh yeah, we can be like super fun neighbors. Although some of their stories, when they tell them, like, yeah, there's some beer involved, so maybe they were just a beer band, a Bud Light <laughs> beer band, alliteration. Oh. Continuing without Bill was not easy. Like I mentioned before, their creation process is very democratic and everyone gets a say. So for one contributor to go missing, that turned everything on its head a little. By 1998, the guys were ready and back in the studio, this time working with session drummers in Bill's stead. Overall, the creation of their next record, Up, was difficult and almost made the rest of the band split up. Hmm. I, they just they were still grieving their their drummer's absence and didn't know how to deal with it. The final product was a little less rock and actually a little more electronic influenced. And I mean it made sense cuz it was the late 90s and rock was dead. Yeah, and electronic everything was mm-hmm. like yeah, everything. It. it performed fine, but overall the days of REM seeing the success of a single like the ones that came before we're done. Yeah. Critics enjoyed it, and it did peak at high points on the charts, but it just didn't have the staying power that the other ones did. The REM trio was still putting out new material for the masses at the turn of the century, and in 2006, on the very first try, they were eligible. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, wow. and Bill even came back to perform some of the songs with oh, them. Oh, that's so, nice. That's very nice. And I'll be honest, the 2000s didn't see much excitement for the band. No, I don't recall hearing anything from them. You didn't. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they were still releasing music, but things had hit a point where it just wasn't what people were listening to, really. They went back to being a cult hit, but Yeah. yeah. On September 21st, 2011, R.E.M. announced that they were, quote, calling it a day as a band. Calling it a day. Calling it a day. And I think saying breakup would not be totally accurate. It's more of a retirement. They were still working in music in some capacity, but as the outfit REM, they were done. Yeah. Yeah. Together for three decades, but the real height of their career was about 10 years throughout 88, 98. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that's more than a lot of musicians get. They stuffed a lot of singles into that. Small amount of time. Seriously. You can't deny the impact that R.E.M. has had, not just on rock music, but on all of music. These guys have inspired an array of groups, from Radiohead to Sonic Youth to Coldplay, and managed to keep alt-rock alive in the 90s, when grunge reigned supreme. Yes. They had their biggest hits during grunge. Yeah, they did. And I would not at all count this as grunge. I feel like... If we didn't have R.E.M., we wouldn't have bands like Weezer oh, or no. anything like them. And you wouldn't even afterwards. have anything like The Strokes, I feel like. No. Like, they really run the gamut of rock. Or anything that's like hipster music. Yeah. Or indie rock or anything off of Saddle Creek. You, you would have... not have indie rock if you didn't no. have R.E.M. Saddle Creek, Bright Eyes, Rilo Kylie, they wouldn't exist Mm-mm. without R.E.M. So. Seriously. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. 
You know, their music happened in tandem with the grunge movement, not in spite of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it stood on its own. And their friendship with bands like Nirvana proves that. I mean, yeah. like, an Eddie Vedder inducted them into the Hall of Fame because he loved and respected them so much. And they were all together around the same time. They weren't like, oh, fuck these alt-rock guys, which, honestly, grunge kind of said fuck you to a lot of other types of music, but R.E.M. never fell into that fuck you category. They always appreciated what they were doing. Yeah. And used them as an influence, too. They were once declared America's best rock and roll band, and it still has some truth to it. Those songs have stood the test of time and will continue to inspire many musicians to come. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many musicians now coming out even, I'm sure, have heard losing my religion and we're like holy shit i want to be a musician or how many musicians that are around now or were around in the 90s and 2000s that didn't even know that they were being influenced by rem yeah i bet there's a whole lot of them that didn't even realize that rem had such a huge impact on their music oh i'm sure yeah they they are an incredibly influential band and I really respect and appreciate, like, they're not my favorite band, but going through their discography, I discovered some stuff that I was like, oh, this is actually really good. I think they're the dark horse of rock, basically. Like, I just think that they are a huge influence. I don't think anybody realizes how much of an influence that they are, because they were just under the radar this whole time. Yeah. And yeah, they had a lot of big hits, but they weren't... I don't know how to they describe weren't, it. They weren't loud about it. They weren't running around trying to be like, we're the best fucking rock band. Because I yeah. think, too, like, that excess in the ni- 80s and 90s was very rampant in all bands. They weren't a hair band about it. Right. You know? <laughs> they I mean, weren't in your face and constantly trying to get your attention. They were just like, here's our stuff if you like it. Yeah. You know, let us know. We really hope you do. Okay, bye. And I know, like, bands like Pearl Jam and Nirvana weren't like that either, but the media just, for some reason, just latched onto them. on yeah. to grunge and just propped that shit right up. So, yeah, R.E.M. was a total dark horse, especially in the 90s. Yeah, and I Because they were always there. And I think that they were very much the solid foundation of 90s alternative that the late 90s saw. Oh, yeah. So, like... Better than Ezra and Weezer and all of those live and the cake and all of those bands would never have existed nope. without the REM foundation that they laid down in the late eighties and early nineties. And especially so. all the experimentation that REM would do. Yeah. Just from the get go. They yeah. were a band that was like, ah, uh, we're not gonna do what everybody else is doing. Yeah, like we can have keyboards and synthesizers and shit, so we're gonna do that. But what's interesting too is they weren't it wasn't an uncomfortable sound. Like, you know, like no. sometimes some of the bands that come through and say, we're going to have a different sound, people are like, what? what? Oh. It's jarring. Yeah. Sometimes. And with R.E.M., it was ne- it just made sense. It yeah. just slipped in there perfectly. They had a very logical progression yeah. to their music. Yeah. And I, I never realized how much I really appreciated the band until now. I'm like, yeah. oh. And their songs are real fucking good. It's some good shit. I keep listening to that. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to go out and listen to a full R.E.M. album, ones that I haven't listened to before, but their singles are definitely ones that I would go to over and Mm. over again because they're really good. They're going on a playlist. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
No, I'm definitely like I found a bunch of songs that have theirs that I liked and like started throwing them on like my liked list. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, let's throw that there. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. That's the story of R.E.M. Oh, that's nice. It's a nice, yeah, like this is just a nice little comfy little story. Yeah. Huh, two weeks in a row, we just got no heroin and nice, happy, shiny, happy people. <laughs> holding hands. Yeah. Yeah. I can see R.E.M. holding Hollow Notes' hands. Oh my God. Yeah. There you go. Adorable. <laughs> this is my fangirl dream now. There you go. Um, but yeah, yeah. Next week's not going to be. Oh. At least there's not going to be heroin. So we're going on two weeks without yeah, heroin? Two weeks without heroin incident. Maybe three. Well, we next do- week will be heroin. No heroin incident. No heroin th- next week. However, it's a fucking story. And then I have a fucking story after that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thanks guys for listening. Yay! Yay. <laughs> you did it. You listened to the whole thing. Shiny happy people. <laughs> if you are digging what we're putting out for you guys and maybe this was too happy for you and you want something grimmer, we got grim stories too. Go visit our website. <laughs> grim stories. www.rockcandypodcast.com. You can download past episodes. You can comment on them. Send us an email if you're so inclined and Tap onto them social medias because we got Instagram, Facebook, and the tweeters. And if you're feeling generous, you're a little bored right now, maybe you slide on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review and tell us how great we are because we're kind of thirsty for one right now. Yeah, we haven't gotten one in a long time. But also, the more reviews you put up there, the better it is for us. Yeah, so if you want to be charitable in the freest way possible... Which... These days, you fucking like free. Yeah, right? So go ahead and give us a lovely review on Apple Podcasts. We would appreciate that a lot. Or if you're feeling even more generous and want to give us actual cash money, you can go to our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash rockcandypodcast. And you can give us money in exchange for some sweet swag. Swag, swag, swag. Swag, swag, swag. It's like fucking coasters and pins Mm -hmm. and a shout out. And yep. like stickers and, and also bonus episodes and b- 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 boner episodes. So we got another on one coming out pretty fucking soon. Yeah, we're doing a bonus bonus episode. Yeah, and this month we have bonus 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 episodes. Yeah, so so get on it. You know you want it. Yeah, come on in. And maybe maybe you don't love us. Maybe you're just here for REM and you're still <laughs> listening. And Good you're for like, you. what else do you guys have to offer? We could offer you our entire network that we're on. Yeah. The Pantheon Podcast Network. It is your one-stop shop MTV of music podcasts. You got stories and tales from all walks of life and all sorts of different musicians and storytellers. So many. So go check them out because they're pretty rad. There's a lot of really awesome shows on there. So yeah. uh, get to get an asshole. Yeah, get to get in. Yeah, do that. Or shop at adamandeve.com and take control of your bedroom. <laughs> Do it. Get free shit. Free it's great. Shit. Candy pod. Put candy in your pod. Don't put candy in your pod, please. That's okay, let's go. Let's straight go. way to yeast infection. <laughs> right. So anyway, we'll see you guys next week. And until then, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. Party on. Are you crazy kids out there? Sing that song. Sing that uh, shiny, shiny people song. No. 
I'll get you started. Shiny, shiny people. Shiny, shiny I hate that song, Space Ghost. Oh, me too, Michael. Me too. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never thought about space in my cramped apartment, but in this house, all I see is empty space. The sofa and ottoman look like tiny islands in a sea of hardwood floors. I could get two ottomans in the living room, but then I'd need another sofa. I could tell people I'm into minimalism. Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home at auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 